Hey, good evening. Welcome to another week of BSF. We're glad to have you with us. Let me pray for us and we'll get started taking a look at Matthew chapter 8. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to freely study your word. Uh, Lord, it is a true privilege that we have uh, to be in public, to be on YouTube, to be uh, in St. Louis, uh, able to look at your Bible, to gather together. Uh, Lord, thank you for the privilege that it is to do that. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ elsewhere around the world where uh, these types of meetings, this type of opportunity to study the Bible are uh, frowned upon and repressed. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you uh, give us freedom and uh, the ability to freely look at your word and to learn from it. Pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and mind to the truths you have for us in Matthew chapter 8. Amen. Well, hey, great to have you here this week. We're looking at Matthew chapter 8. We've just finished up the Sermon on the Mount, and we're moving forward into Matthew's gospel, Matthew's story about Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, as I was thinking about this passage and preparing uh, for this for this talk, I was reminded a little bit of uh, the classic film by Pixar called Toy Story. Now, in that film, we are given a... Uh, a pretend view, uh, a narrative view, or a story into a change in authority that happens in Andy's room. Uh, if you have seen the movie, remember the story, you know that Woody the cowboy has a difficult time accepting the new authority of the newcomer, namely Buzz Lightyear. Early in the film, we see as the audience exactly how far Buzz's authority extends as the decorations of Andy's room change from cowboy western themed to space rangers and to Buzz Lightyear themed. Uh, In Woody's world, everything is turned upside down because there's a new sheriff in town, namely Buzz Lightyear. Now, as Woody was grappling with, you know, man, what is it going to look like? What's my, how much is going to change in my life? How far does Buzz's authority extend? Well, to Woody, it felt like it was going to go to infinity and beyond. Now, as we go to the book of Matthew, we're going to understand, we're going to see Matthew's calling out these reminders and these stories for us that Jesus is someone with authority. The Sermon on the Mount ended and uh, people were astonished. The crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus's teaching was authoritative, and now Matthew's going to take us into Jesus' public ministry, and we're going to see the authority that Jesus has and how far it goes uh, in the, the land of Israel in his public ministry. And I think the main truth, the main lesson for this passage is that Jesus has been given all authority under heaven and earth. This is, of course, uh, a quotation from the end of Matthew, part of the Great Commission, but I think it's relevant for us here. Matthew wants us to see and understand how far, how, how Jesus' authority really does extend to infinity and beyond. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. We'll go ahead and get your Bibles out. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to look at this in two sections. We're going to first of all look at uh, Jesus' authority accepted by the marginalized. And this is going to be verses uh, 1 through 17. 
and then we're going to look at the second half of the passage, and we're going to see uh, sort of the beginnings of people rejecting, rejecting Jesus. They're, we're going to start to see a rise of unbelief. We're going to see some rejection of Jesus's authority in the second half of the passage. Let's go ahead and get started. First of all, uh, right away we're reminded that Jesus has just wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount. He's on his way down from the mountain, and the crowd is still following him. And as he's coming down, he meets a leper. Now, in uh, first century Israel, and as even extending back into the history of Israel, uh, leprosy was something, skin diseases were something that were treated very seriously. The priests were responsible for diagnosing and ultimately determining the fate of somebody with a skin disorder. If the priest identified somebody with a skin disorder that was going to be contagious at risk of spreading throughout the community, uh, this person was cast out of society. They had to keep their hair unkempt. They had to cover their faces. And they had to announce that they were unclean in the event that anybody came near. I'm sure that this life was lonely. Uh, I'm sure that these people were isolated, and as we've experienced in this era of COVID, I'm sure these people tried every off-the-shelf remedy to be able to deal with their leprosy. There was, there was probably nothing that they were able to do to effectively deal with their illness, and every day they were reminded of their outcast status because of where they lived, because of how they had to interact with their neighbors. So we don't exactly know what motivated this one leper to come and seek Jesus. But this one, this one leper did. Uh, and I'm sure it was a harrowing journey. I don't know how long it would have taken for the leper to arrive or how many times on the way the leper would have had to announce that he was unclean. Uh, but this notion of clean and unclean would have dominated the, the life, the existence of this person as they, as they approach Jesus. Uh, I love I love the way that this man, I think it was a man, approached. Uh, he came and he knelt before him and he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus' response is equally beautiful. Uh, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. And Jesus said, I will be clean. And this was a, a great reversal of what leprosy was or, or how leprosy worked, at least with regard to the Old Testament. If a leper came into your presence or if you interacted with a leper, you, as the clean person, received the leper's uncleanness. The leper would make you unclean. And we see the reverse happening here as Jesus touches the leper rather than receiving the uncleanness from the leper. Jesus cleanses uh, this man's leprosy. Uh, I, love the, I love the response uh, that we get from Matthew. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Whatever, you know, we sort of know that there's a bacteriological process that drives what we call Hansen's disease today. Uh, and, and this wasn't just a normal immune response to a bacteria or even the response of an antibacterial agent. This is a supernatural cleansing. Immediately, every bit of leprosy left this man. We also see uh, Jesus provide some direction to the leper. First of all, he says to go to the priest. Again, the ability for this person to be reintroduced into society was going to be mediated by the priest. So the Jesus' direction, go to the priest, be reintroduced 
into society. And then we have uh, what I'm going to refer to, and I think what, what some Bible scholars refer to as the messianic secret. Jesus tells the man, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell anybody what happened. Go to the priest, make your offering, be declared clean, but don't tell people that I was the person, that I was the one, that, that, that I was the one who cleaned you, cleansed you of your leprosy. Uh, I, I think that you know Jesus' mission, as he is on earth, is ultimately to carry out the will of his Father. Jesus was heading for the cross. He was heading to the cross to, to bring about forgiveness of sins. Jesus wasn't an entertainer trying to draw crowds into, the, into Galilee. You know, let's go watch the magic man in the desert and see what he does today. Uh, Jesus' motivation was to do the will of his Father, and part of that will was to heal. Part of that will was to restore, uh, but but uh, Jesus is again. He's trying to limit uh, his popularity in the region so to allow him to fulfill his messianic mission. We're going to see this happen a few more times in Matthew, where it seems like Jesus is perpetuating this notion of the messianic secret. So the first person who's recognized Jesus's authority is the leper, the outcast from society. He he went to Jesus and he received healing. The second person that we're going to see is identified uh, in Capernaum as being a centurion. centurion. Uh, This was a Roman soldier. The Romans were the occupying force in the land of Israel during the time of Christ. Centurions were soldiers who were in charge of 100 other soldiers, hence the name. And uh, this soldier, the centurion, comes to Jesus and he reports that one of his soldiers is sick. And uh, we understand the man's motivation. He says that he's lying paralyzed at home and suffering terribly. The centurion's heart was a heart of compassion. This soldier was probably a friend uh, or at least someone that the centurion cared for. And rather than experiencing and seeing this man suffer, uh, this man was looking for a cure. He was looking for an answer. And the centurion identified Jesus as someone who would be able to resolve this problem. He saw Jesus's authority and he chose to act. And his actions are, are magnificent. Uh, he, he goes to Jesus. He asks him to, to perform the healing, but he says, don't come to my home, merely say the word because I am someone who is an authority figure as a centurion. I recognize authority in you, Jesus. Say the word, and your invisible servants, the ones that I can't see, will bring about the healing. Uh, Jesus, we, we, we get this response where Jesus marvels at his faith. Now, I, you know, I, uh, whether or not Jesus knew or understood this was going to happen, regardless, Jesus drew attention to the faith that the centurion had. The centurion wasn't going to be, he knew that Jesus' authority was not going to be upset by time or distance or space. Uh, he understood that Jesus' authority was extensive and, and it, it was much broader than just the reach of his arm. And so the centurion's faith is commended. And this is a really important comment that Jesus makes, and I want to read it for us so that we don't miss it. We'll talk about it a little bit more in the next division. Um, Jesus says, Truly I tell you that no one with no one in Israel have I found such face. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ultimately, we see that Jesus says to those of the centurion sent, Go, it will be done for you as you have believed. And we'll come back to this idea of the foreigners at the table in a little bit, but just bookmark that, remember it, and uh, we'll come back to that in our next division. The, the next round of healing happens with uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. My, my guess is, is that at this point, in Simon Peter, Peter, the, the, one of the disciples of Jesus, was married. And his mother-in-law lived within their home. And so my guess is, is that this woman was a widow at this point, living with Peter and with uh, Peter's wife. And she was in bed with a fever. We, we, again, we don't know what it was. We don't know what was wrong with the servant. You know, was it polio? Maybe. Was it was Peter's mother ill with malaria? Maybe. We don't know. She had a fever. She was ill. Uh, and Jesus was able to heal her with a touch. And ultimately, uh, she was able to, again, this is not a normal recovery. When If you've had the flu, if you've been sick, if you have a fever, there's a process that our bodies go through where when the fever finally breaks, when our immune system wins, we're just wiped out and we need a time to recover. In this situation, uh, Jesus healed her with a touch and she was immediately ready to get up and begin serving and she served Jesus. Uh, and she served Jesus' disciples. And what ultimately happened is, is that the neighborhood shows up, the city shows up at her home, bringing those who are sick to Jesus. We see a designation uh, between uh, healing of illnesses and casting out of demons. So again, we, we don't want to make the assumption that just because someone is ill, they're demon-possessed. Some people were sick. Some people were demon-possessed, and Jesus was able to uh, deal with both groups effectively uh, throughout that night. The crowds came. Uh, Matthew, again, reminds us that this, this action of Jesus, this action of the Messiah is prophetic. He gives us a quotation from Isaiah, Isaiah 53 about the servant of God, and he gives us the reminder that the servant of God would take away our illnesses, would take away our diseases. Um, This is in in, in verse 17 in the book of Matthew. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Remember, Matthew wants us to learn that Jesus is the fulfiller, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Uh, He didn't come to to reject or, or to change the law, but he came in complete fulfillment. And this is one of those road markers for us where Matthew says, and he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And we've seen people recognizing his authority. And it's not the people that we expected. It's the leper, the outcast. It's the occupier, the centurion. It's the widow uh, who's living by living on her own or in her family's in her family's home, um, and so the principle for this section is that Jesus's authority is recognized by outsiders. Jesus's authority is recognized by outsiders. Perhaps when you were growing up, you went over to a friend's house, and in, when you were there, when you were at your friend's house, perhaps you've been witness to an uncomfortable interaction between a parent, the parent of your friend, and your friend. I was playing G.I. Joe, which is what my friend Dave and I did when we were growing up, and I was at Dave's house, and we were down in Dave's basement, and we were playing with G.I. Joe guys, we are having some big battle, 
And I, I remember that, you know, Dave's mom, I don't know if Dave's mom knew I was there, right? She might not have. But she, she opened the basement door and she yelled downstairs. It was loud. I remember it was really loud. And she was like, David, take out the trash. Um, she was upset. I mean, I had, you know, I'd been over to Dave's house quite a bit and I, you know, I knew his parents and, you know, they'd seemed pretty reasonable. And, you know, and I'm down here as like the guest and I'm like, you know, Dave, what, what, what are you going to do? Your mom sounds pretty upset. Like, you know, what, I, you know, what, what's going to happen? I'm, I'm looking at Dave and I'm like, you know, are, are you, he, he didn't do anything. Dave just keeps playing. He, he almost acted like this event didn't happen. And and I'm in this space, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, th- the, clearly, this is Dave's mom. You know, I mean, she, she's like, she's asking to take out the trash, and like, I'm over here, and like, you know. So what I did, like, she had left the house, she had to go to work or went somewhere. I I went upstairs and I took out the trash because I, I in that moment, like, I realized like this this woman that Dave's mom is an authority figure. And and she's asked Dave to do something, and he's still playing with, you know, with Hawk and Snake Eyes and the gang over there. I'm like, we gotta get the trash out. We gotta get this done. Um, it wasn't my mom, but I but I was in that moment, and I felt the weight of it, and I felt the burden of it. And uh, I, I'm like, I'm taking the trash out. Like I knew where the trash was supposed to go, and I knew how to do it. And so I took it out, and then I came back down and played GI Joe with Dave. We had probably a great afternoon, and you know. Um, but I think, in, 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 in a certain sense, um, we can we can sometimes look at Jesus's authority, and and we can we can wonder or we can debate. You know, how should we respond? How how should I respond to the authority that Jesus presents? So far, we've seen people in the in the text responding very positively to Jesus's authority. Um, people are 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 coming to Jesus. They're recognizing his power. And 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 they're they're receiving blessing that comes from the Lord, you know. But sometimes we sort of are a little bit more like Dave, um, you know. We just kind of we we don't really want to listen, you know. We don't really want the blessing of an empty trash can because this thing that we're doing right here in front of us feels much more exciting than whatever blessing might come from listening to an authority figure. Uh, perhaps you're ignoring. Uh, some of Jesus's authority. Perhaps you're thinking that maybe somebody more authoritative will show up. Perhaps you're not convinced that Jesus is really the authority figure that he claims to be. Or perhaps you've been obedient. Perhaps you've listened. Perhaps you've responded. Uh, and, and perhaps there's been a blessing that's come with that. Maybe, you know, you've seen Jesus trying to work in the life of one of your friends. Maybe there's a Dave in your life uh, who doesn't need you to take out the trash, but perhaps there's a Dave in your life who uh, needs maybe a little coaxing from you to be like, no, hey, Dave, serious, this is your mom. Like, you need to do this. Perhaps there's someone who you can see uh, because of your perspective as an outsider that you can see into their life and be like, no, you know, I, it, it really seems like God and it's directing you to do this. Like, have you considered this? Have you studied this? Perhaps they need a nudge or, or a time of prayer or some help from you to be able to hear the authoritative voice that comes from Jesus. You know, and I think always, like in my situation, like I took out the trash at Dave's house, so I kind of knew like when Mrs., I don't want to use her name, but when Dave's mom came home, um, we were going to be okay, right? We were going to be able to keep playing because, you know, the as far as she knew, uh, Dave had done what, what was asked. And, um, 
you know, perhaps there have been times when you've actually listened uh, to what Jesus is asking you to do. Uh, you've listened to Jesus' authority, and and you've received blessing. Uh, again, we have to remember that, that the context of Jesus' authority comes from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is desiring to bring uh, a more abundant life to his people, a life where hearts and actions are aligned. And so Jesus' Jesus's objectives uh, are to bring blessing into the lives of his followers and of his hearers. Well, as we go into the next section, you know, it, it, this is an interesting section that we come into. This is verses 18 through 34. Um, we're going to start to see some people rejecting Jesus' authority. Uh, it's going to start off in verse 18 where there's a crowd and Jesus says, we're going to go to the other side of the lake in this boat. And he's speaking to his disciples. And really the question before the audience is, who are the disciples of Jesus? Who's going to get into the boat? Who's going to go with him? And we see there's a couple of people that respond. One of them comes up and they call Jesus teacher. This person is identified as a scribe. This is an insider, right? This is this is someone who's uh, exalted or valued in Jewish society. This is a scholar. This is someone who is probably they're probably a teacher themselves. And this person comes up and says, "Teacher, I'll go with you wherever you go." And and Jesus's response is interesting. He says, "Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head." And it's not clear if this man got into the boat or not. What's interesting is that everybody else in the narrative so far has referred to Jesus as Lord. We're going to see everybody else in the narrative from this point forward refers to Jesus as Lord. Except this man comes and calls him teacher. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. He had heard Jesus' authoritative teaching, but may have wanted to stop there. He might not have wanted Jesus to have authority in his life about where he lived, what he did, the way that he lived his life. Uh, And so Jesus' response is enigmatic, and we don't know. We don't know if this man got into the boat or not. But there's another disciple who does call Jesus Lord. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you follow me. And, and we don't know if this man got into the boat either. Uh, we know that his, his heart may have been in a different place. He was ready to call Jesus Lord, but he wasn't ready to get into the boat. He wasn't ready to let go of the worries and cares that he had in this world. And certainly, taking care of parents is a, is a noble initiative. Uh, but he was faced with a choice. Do I, do I take the greater? Do I take the Lord? Do I follow the Lord and see what he has for me? Or do I stay and attempt to care for my father to bury my dead? Uh, and again, we don't know what the response was, but we're seeing people begin to say, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to get into the boat. Well, some disciples got into the boat. They're now out on the water. Verse 23, they're in the boat. His disciples followed him and a great storm comes. The boat was being swamped by the raves, but Jesus was asleep. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is not a big body of water but it definitely is a tempestuous body of water. It's surrounded by mountains. There's a lot of wind that can come from different directions, and it's in a bowl. 
And so the wind can really drive the waves up. There have been accounts of waves, you know, 15 to 20 foot waves on this small Sea of Galilee. And if you're in this little boat in the first century, I imagine this was rather terrifying. Some of the guys in the boat were, you know, were Peter and, and, and some of these guys were, they were, they were familiar with boats and, and, and what you could and couldn't do in a boat, but they're now worried. They're afraid. And um, they wake Jesus up and they say, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he says to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. He rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And so th- we get a contrast here between the wind and the waves and certainly the two disciples that may not have gotten into the boat with Jesus. The wind, the waves are obeying the authority of Jesus. We're seeing them respond. When Jesus says, be still, the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus' authority is recognized by basically nature, uh, the wind and the waves. I I was reminded a little bit, uh, Jesus' rebuke of them is interesting. Why are you afraid? Uh, I began to think about this and and, uh, I, I sort of thought like, you know, there's one here with you in the boat who is greater than the wind and the waves. The reality is, is that the disciples were, in one sense, afraid of the wrong thing. They were afraid of the wind. They were afraid of the waves. The reality is, is that Jesus is the one that we should fear. Uh, our fear should be directed towards, uh, toward, towards God, towards the Lord. He is the one that has the ability to save body and soul. He is also the one that has the ability to condemn body and soul. And uh, the disciples were contemplating, and they asked a great question, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? But yet some people are choosing to ignore him. They're choosing to reject him. They're choosing to not listen to him. And so uh, perhaps... Once the disciples get to the other side of the lake, once they get to this Gentile region, perhaps some of these outsiders, people who are outside the land of Israel and outside the people of God, perhaps they will respond differently to Jesus. So let's see what happens. They land on the other side in the region of the Gadarenes. Two demon-possessed men met Jesus coming out of the tombs. These men had a history. They had a reputation. They were fierce. And people were just like, don't walk by the tombs. Go a different way. These, those guys are bad news. And the demons that were possessing these men recognized the authority of Jesus. They called him by who he truly was. O oh, son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? And so these demons realized that Jesus was going to have authority over them, not in the here and now, but also at some point in the future when they would be punished. Ultimately, uh, Jesus cast the demons out of these two men into a herd of pigs. The pigs rush away and end up uh, killing themselves in the Sea of Galilee. This was probably an event where, you know, if you could think about the events that had happened in this town, this kind of stuff hadn't happened before. Nobody had been able to deal with these two men out by the tombs. Certainly, they'd never had a herd of pigs go rushing off into the Sea of Galilee. And so this is a unique event. This is a unique opportunity. You know, the unique son of God is at your town. You have the opportunity uh, to experience Jesus's authority in your community, in your town, in your life. 
You know, this is a chance to bring out your sick, uh, bring out those who have have been oppressed by demons. And instead, uh, the town was so distraught by their loss of food, by their herd of maybe 2,000 pigs, that they, they just asked Jesus to leave. You know, we see that guy over there who's not demon-possessed. We, uh, we know that he was before. We also see that the pigs are gone. We also know that you did this because the, the two shepherd guys watching the pigs saw it. But rather than wanting to receive Jesus' authority and learn more, they asked Jesus to leave. They, they rejected Jesus' authority. You know, we're starting to uh, really get a, a sense of uh, the the verses that um, uh, Jesus spoke to the to the to the crowd when the centurion uh, had faith. Truly, I tell you, no one in Israel has found such faith. Many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. You know, we're starting to see this idea that that the people that were going to respond to Jesus are not necessarily the people that we're expecting. Now, I mean, you know, we kind of were thinking that maybe these Gentiles would, but, but they end up not responding. But there's a limited group of people who are going to respond to Jesus. The, the, the sons of the kingdom are the Jews, and many of the Jews are beginning to question and challenge Jesus' authority. Even some of the Gentiles are beginning to say, hey, we're not interested in, in your authority. We're not interested in what you have to say. We're not interested in your authority in this life, and we're certainly not interested in your authority in the life to come. We don't want to sit at table with you, Lord. We don't want to be a part of the community that will celebrate for eternity with you in heaven. And so we're beginning to understand uh, Jesus' words about people from east and west. Uh, Some people from east are responding. The Roman centurion is responding. Some people who are outcasts, the leper, are responding. Some disciples are responding, but many people are choosing to reject Jesus. They are not interested in welcoming the one who is announcing the kingdom of God. The principle for this section is that Jesus' authority is rejected. Our, our neighbors have a golden retriever. His name is Seamus. And they've worked with Seamus, and they've, they're teaching him commands. And Seamus was a puppy, and now he's quite a bit bigger. And they're training Seamus to hear their voices and, and do what they've asked. Now it's, it's dog commands, right? You know, it's like stop or heal or, you know, whatever it is that you teach a dog to do. They're, they're doing this. They're working on doing this with their dog. Most of the time I hear them telling Seamus to stop. Uh, but, you know, pretty regularly, Seamus is outside, and then we'll walk out our back door, and Seamus can kind of see us when we come into our yard. And Seamus is like, I'm off. And he'll come tearing across the yard. He'll come tearing over into our yard. And meanwhile, my neighbor's like, Seamus, stop. Seamus, stop. He's, you know, he wants Seamus to listen. And Seamus is like, no, I, I'm not hearing your voice anymore. I'm not hearing your words. I'm coming over to the Tatko's house. I'm coming over to get some pets. He wants us to pet him. You know, he, he's a he's a affectionate golden retriever. He's super kind, uh, but he but he 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 so wants this this petting. He wants what he wants, and he's ignoring the voice of his master. Now, there's really probably no real consequences for Seamus when he ignores his master's voice. Maybe there is. I don't ever see it. Um, but the reality for you and for I and for all people is that to reject the authority of Jesus can have some very real consequences. Um, What are the times that you've been tempted to do this? 
Are there times in your life when you felt like Jesus is speaking to you, Jesus is instructing you, Jesus is challenging you uh, to change something, to do something different, to live different, to give up a sin, and you've been like, nope, leave my town, Jesus. Nope, I'm not getting in the boat. I'm not going to get in the boat with you. Are there parts of your life where you feel like this area of, of divine authority has been a recurring theme? Uh, has it been in relationships? Has it been in work? Uh, has it been with money? You know, do you have a part of your life that has been most problematic for you to accept and to hear uh, the authority that comes from Jesus? And conversely, what would it look like for you to start listening to Jesus' authority? What does it look like for you to obey? You know, for Seamus, it would be like, don't come tearing over, right? Listen to the voice of your master. Uh, You know, listen to what your master wants. But what would it look like for you and for me as we begin to listen and to hear uh, Jesus speak to us? What would it look like for us to accept and acknowledge Jesus as the authority in our lives. You know, I think there's a part of me, there's maybe a part of you that is a lot like Woody from the Toy Story movie. We want to stay in control, almost at any cost. We want our voice and our authority and our needs to matter more than anybody else's. And, and like Woody in the story, you know, we can pretend that this isn't really happening. We can deny, we can try to hide uh, this other voice, this other authority. We can try to do all of that with, with the authority that Jesus has in our lives. Uh, but the reality is it's really important. This is a really important thing for us to do. To, that Jesus talks about the, 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 the benefit of listening to Jesus' authority is that we will get to recline at table with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not trying to set up some totalitarian regime where he's going to be, you know, lording his authority over us and making us do his every whim. No, Jesus is trying to make a way for you and for me to enter the kingdom of heaven to experience true blessing. Uh, to be to experiencing true restoration, to be experiencing true rest. And the challenge is, are we willing to cooperate? Are we willing to set aside our own authority, our own objectives, our own goals, our own desires, and accept that Jesus is the voice that we should be listening to? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word again. Uh, thank you, Lord, just for the, the reminder that... Um, You don't force us to accept you. Uh, Lord, it's a great mystery. Um, It is a great mystery that that you give us the ability to decide. Uh, You give us the ability to cooperate or not to cooperate with what you're willing, what you're trying to accomplish in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would make us be cooperative with your authority. Lord, it's for our good. It's for your glory and it's for the glory of the Father. And I pray, Father, that you would reveal that to us as we study your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.